Here we go, here we go. Find a place, grab a sheet. Let's pray. Here we go. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go right on the button and try to end on the button because there's so much stuff to do. There is a women's book club on Thursday. The author is actually appearing, so if you're interested, details are in uh, Life Together. Please, please come along for that. There's all kinds of things uh, for you to pay attention to, please. There's a voters meeting here next week in this place at this time. So Women's Book Club on Thursday, voters meeting next week. Okay, then, um, I've written you a lot. You know, there's about three weeks here, but this is it. So uh, I, I think to myself, um, how can we make this happen? So a short review first, so just point number one. And this is where we've been the last few weeks. You know, why come to church? This is a place where Jesus gives you his father as your father. He gives you himself as your savior. And he gives you his spirit as your spirit. And then the very interesting bit in the gospel today, which is a bit complicated. I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the father and the father is in me. But if you're in him, then you're in the father and the father's in you, right? And I'll give you a spirit. You had this very Trinitarian theme. All of that is repeated, and I've tried to argue this the past couple of weeks, in the Creed and the Ten Commandments and the Our Father. Same, same. So for you, what's so important to remember today is that you're a beloved child of God. And if we could remember this, many, many of our problems would go away. And I want to try to help you with that today. But under point number one, like Jesus, we're beloved children of God. Like Jesus, our Heavenly Father is very pleased with us. And I know sometimes the Lutheran reflex is to, you know, kind of move away from that. And of course, if pride is the issue, then moving away from that is positive. But I meet as many or more people for whom pride is not the issue. I meet people who are, um, quite frankly, think they're all alone and nobody loves them. So it's good for you to think about how the Lord loves you and what difference that makes in your own life. And so you go through life, you know, with God as your father, with Jesus as your brother, and soaked in the energy of the Holy Spirit, and your life can become different. Now, I want to push all of that today towards hope. So you see from the title, Why Come to Church? Hope. And over the past three or four years, from politics to COVID to church things to the world, the, the, you know, the world's been woefully short on hope, and the church in some ways, too. So I want to push you toward hope, not as a reason to come to church, but push you toward hope as a way to live your life. It takes a little while to get there, and um, I'm afraid if I just follow bit by bit, uh, I'm not going to make it. So... For all the times I've never made it, finally I've discovered a method to make it. We're just going to go to point 15, okay? <laughs> so just, we just turn to the end, and in some circles this is called cheating, in other places it's just called good judgment. So, uh, and here's, here's, what I, here's what I want you to understand that there's hope in any circumstance. 
Now, one of the things that Lutherans do super well is get doctrine right. Justification by grace through faith. One of the things that Lutherans left behind, and this is unfortunate and needs to be rediscovered and emphasized, is what the rest of the world would call spiritual direction. Fancy name for practical advice, practical advice from the wisdom of scripture and then also the wisdom of mothers and fathers who've gone before us. Or as I said to you often, um, always try to be the dumbest guy in the room. That's how you learn things, right? So here's what we're gonna do. We started with the idea that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are yours, that you've been invited into the kingdom, and that you're meant to bear fruit. Our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Doubtless you will say to me, I find this life particularly painful. And my answer to you is going to be hope in any circumstance. And I want to show you what that means, and I want to show you how to get there, and I want to do all that in 30 minutes. So here goes. This is from uh, a man who was a bishop in Mexico, and maybe an archbishop, and is on his way to sainthood, but whose specialty was spiritual direction. Point 15, why hope, why not despair? The fact is, we would like, in a greater or lesser degree, to please ourselves. Now this is gonna seem difficult and perhaps even harsh, but please give it a chance. Or rather, to please ourselves in a merely natural order rather than a supernatural order. So we judge ourselves according to the world or our own flesh or, God forbid, the devil, natural orders which are corrupted, as opposed to the supernatural order. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Thy kingdom come, the otherworldly kingdom come and have its way with me, thy will be done. We pray for this every day. So we often would like one thing or another for our own comfort through self-love, and if what God sends us is not to our taste, we are disturbed and even rebellious. Now this is very difficult to understand, especially if you grew up in America, and especially if you believe in initiative, hard work, um, self-actualization, uh, self-success, right? And the problem is, is what I don't want you to hear in any of this is you just quit and let things happen to you. That's not it at all. It's a double thing of you work as hard as you possibly can with all the resources you've been given, and then come what may I'm in God's hands. We do not end up where we want to be very often in our lives. But I've also said to you, everybody I know hits what they're aiming at. So how do you put those two things together? We often don't end up where we wanted to go, but we often do hit what we're aiming at. So let's see if we can hold those two things together. Because this would be spiritual for direction for somebody who comes and says, I try to do everything right. I say my prayers, I go to the Eucharist, right? Um, I try to live a good life and I still get destroyed. I still suffer. My marriage is tough, my kids don't listen to me, my job is horrible. I thought it would be this, I got that. 
What's up? This is the answer. In the spiritual order too, we would like to satisfy our own personal tastes. I want to go here, I want to be that, I want to do this. I do want to reach sanctity, but by this path. So now a little bit of a division. So distinguish worldly goals and hard work and doing the best you can with what you've been given from what the Lord might be teaching you and where the Lord might be taking you. Sanctity. I do want to reach tank sanctity by this path in imitation of my favorite saint. But no, our Lord knows better, better than we along what path and in what manner we must reach heaven. It might be better for me to be here, your pastor, for 27 years and then go be a professor or go be a bishop or go be something else or teach in a... One of the things I often wonder about is when I was very young, still at seminary, I was asked to interview for the... Um, Dean of the Chapel position at Stanford, I often think to myself, hmm, hmm, that would have been a different, uh, right? So, on the other hand, we would like to have clear insight into all that happens to us. We want to see the way. Lord, we don't know where you're going, Thomas. We want to see the way. It's not always given to you to see the way. Let's go die with him. They didn't die either. Thomas went over for 2 that day. On the other hand, we would like to have clear insight into all that happens to us and its contribution to sanctification. How is this suffering going to work out, right? And so when we understand that such a thing will sanctify us, we are content. But if we do not understand, we are disquieted. And I'm going to end all of this today by saying to you, you may not judge yourself or anyone else in this world. And that's the only way to hope. And for many of you, that's going to disquiet you because you've been taught that the church is a place of judgment. So I'm going to see if I can take one last swing at breaking that for you. How can this suffering possibly sanctify me? Why me? Why does this happen to me? Why is this the outcome? I tried to do good. I tried to do right. I did my best. Why? The cross is indeed the way to perfection, but there are crosses and crosses. And in this one, I see no prospect of coming closer to Christ. You see the judgment there? Judgment about myself, I'm not gonna grow. Judgment about God, he's not on, got me on the right path. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Only Jesus can pray that prayer. How shall I become holy if our Lord places me in these conditions which seem opposed to my sanctification. How could Romans 8 actually work out that God knits everything in my life together for good? How shall I become holy if the Lord places me in these conditions which seem opposed to my sanctification or resources or potential or desires? What blindness of heart, I know this is harsh, but this is how somebody who loves you talks to you. Your heart's blind. What blindness of heart, do you not understand the ways of God? And now this is gonna be the key. He loves you more than you love yourself. When you ask these questions and suggest that God doesn't know the way because you don't know the way, or you've landed somewhere where you didn't intend to go, you've suffered in a way that you could never imagine, or 
things happen again and again and again against you. The great sin in that is suggesting that God has left you alone and unloved. The great faithfulness in that is to remember you're never alone and always loved. You're my beloved child, God is pleased with you. He loves you more than you love yourself. He loves you more than anyone else loves you. He is unceasingly, so that would be all the time, everywhere and in every action, solicitous for your good. Soliciting your good, right? He's working everything for your good, even if you can't see it. If he sends you this cross, this is difficult. It is exactly what you need for your sanctification. I do want to distinguish here between crosses that the Lord sends you and crosses that you send yourself. If you drink so much that your liver goes bad and you die, it's not a cross that the Lord sent you. You know, if you steal from work and get fired, it's not a cross that the Lord sent you. It's a consequence of your own sin. So you do need a little bit of wisdom here and sometimes some help from the outside sorting this out. If you've done everything you can and part of your life goes off the rails, then you might begin to think, what's the Lord up to here? If we but understood these truths, what could make us lose peace? How calm our lives would be. Come this event or another, it makes no difference. In the depths of the soul, I mean, for not being of stone, I shall not fail to feel. Okay, what is, that means if you punch me in the nose, I bleed. If you stab me in the heart, it's pain. Okay, I'm not stone. Some events bring joy and others suffering. Now here's the key, trying to hold it all together. Yes, I shall suffer and weep and I may even complain. But deep in my heart, I shall experience peace. So see how sophisticated and mature this is? I suffer, I react, I have pain, I complain. And that can coexist with peace. And so bring hope. How can this work? It's because when you're human, you have natural reactions natural reactions to evil, right? If you slander me, it's painful. If you punch me in the nose, I bleed, right? If you do evil to me, I suffer. And then I complain to you and I complain to God and I ask for an explanation and I'm undone in some way. And yet if I remember always that God loves me more than I love myself, and so I've said it to you in this way in the past. Jesus loves you, Jesus never leaves you, Jesus never hurts you. If you can remember that and say that in spite of everything, peace and also hope can coexist. Why do you go to church? So you can learn to hope. I know this is a lot. I mean, this is a lifetime of a guy who had extraordinary responsibilities and gave remarkable care coming to you. Lord, this instrument you are now using to sanctify me must be very precious since your love sends it. 
yes, I recognize it, but it pains me. Allow me then to weep and complain. You do have to get it out. So at a funeral, we don't worry about the people who cry. We worry about the people who don't cry. You have to get it out. And Jesus allows us to weep and complain, but what he does not want is that we become disturbed, depressed, hopeless. While we groan and weep, he would have us preserve peace in our heart. How can you do that? How can you have all this pain and at the same time have peace? How can you have all this pain and at the same time have hope? That's what we're aiming at. While we groan and weep, he would have us preserve peace in our heart. I insist that what I keep saying is not something artificial. And this is often, you know, there's a little hint of this in the sermon today, that Christians live in fantasy, or Christians are idiots. Look, most of the stuff that's critical of Christianity now has been around for 50 or 100 or 150 years. That's not a very long time. Jesus and the scriptures have taken every punch for 2,000 years and are doing just fine, thank you. It is unadulterated truth, although profound truth. So it's true, but you've got you to work at it. Things seem superficially. So if you see things superficially, things seen superficially can disturb us. But if we regard with the profundity of faith, nothing can make us lose peace. This reminds me of... Um, Benedict, I think it said, who says, you know, the scientist sees the, uh, sees the world. The theologian sees beneath the world. Okay, so this is a very, I'm trying to give you um, a very simple thing. You're going to suffer. If you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer. You know you're going to suffer. He suffered. So if you follow Jesus, you follow him into suffering. Some of the suffering you generate yourself and that needs to be confessed and is forgiven, and Jesus will work you out of that. But sometimes somebody somewhere is going to hit you in the back of the head with a two-by-four and you didn't see it coming. And then you will say, why me? And the trick in that, or if I could say it more theologically, faith says, I still believe because... Jesus loves me. Jesus never leaves me. And Jesus will not hurt me. In fact, Jesus will let me prosper. So, Timmy, at this point I'd say, that's all good in theory, but I want some answers, right? Now we'll go back to the beginning, okay? So here's where we've been. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are with you and love you. They've given you the kingdom of God. Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, justification, creation, justification, sanctification. And yet you find life very painful, and this doesn't seem to make sense. And especially people who are super Christians sometimes have super pain to be skinned alive, right? St. Barnabas on the Sistine Chapel on the wall halfway up. Jesus has come back. He's ghosting up the wall 
and he has his skin in his hand. When he gets to the top, Jesus will put his skin back on him in resurrection. Nice. All right, so back then to number two. What do you do? Or the simple question is, how can you hope? What do we do? I'm going to scooch through some of these things without reading every last word. You can read every last word on your own. But the simple answer is obey. And you need to hear obey as the most gospel word possible. I said before you, life and death choose life. Psalm 119 is fabulous for this. I just gave you a chunk of it. You can go read it. It's the longest psalm, of course, and it has given much to obeying Jesus and finding your way. My part, I have resolved, O Lord, is to obey your word. Now I'm just going to go, watch, I'm going to go down each line. My part is to obey your word, to implore your favor, to do your will, to obey your commands, to remember your laws, your just decrees, to obey your precepts. Why? Because your love fills the earth. He's just saying obey in nine different ways. And faith agrees. Faith agrees to obey. Faith agrees with everything Jesus says and does and sees and hopes for. So if you want the short answer of how to survive when the world is turned against you, the answer is to obey. Which is not impossible for you. You're soaked in the Holy Spirit. We already prayed that. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And we often think about obedience or holiness as a way that we're cheated, that somehow the Lord has ruined our fun. And of course, you've all been through with catechumen it with me, right? You know, you know, putting your nose in a cheese slicer is no idea of a good fun. You wake up the next morning and you go, ah, I wish I wouldn't have done that. So obedience and holiness is what's best for you. And not you, we ran this bit from uh, N.T. Wright last week. But holiness, as people imagine, is not a matter of denying the good. It's about growing up and grasping what's better. New creation has already begun. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb all that belongs to brokenness and incompleteness in this present world. So holiness is the search for wholeness. Point number three. It's a difficult world. It's cruel, it's messy, and sometimes disastrous for Christians. It's interesting, there's a few sites you can go look, Faith of the Martyrs, for example. Every week, you know, um, Christians are being murdered all over the world and nobody's paying any attention. I mean, it happens so frequently in Nigeria, people don't even, it doesn't even make the news anymore. You know, 50 or 100 people get killed on Easter. Nobody even, it's not even a headline. It's crazy stuff. But um, point number three, the world is a very, very difficult place. And, you know, if you follow, you could be, follow the world. You could be um, a winner, but you're also, if you follow Christ, you can end up being in great despair. For us, this is the bottom under number three. For us, the greatest temptation is to lose touch with the blessing that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. I just turned the page. 
When we live our suffering under the blessing, that is, when we live our suffering as sons and daughters of God, when we live our sufferings joined to Jesus, when we live our sufferings energized by the Holy Spirit, when we live our sufferings know that we please our Heavenly Father, even the greatest pain, even death, will lead us deeper into forgiving and life-giving heart of God. When we think we're not loved, we despair. And that's always the devil's plan for you, that you would despair. Now, the whole middle bit, which I didn't do, and you know, who knows if I'll ever do, but in the middle bit is how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sustain you so that you can live in hope. It's quite simple, actually. Daily bread, provide for body. Forgiveness of sins provides for soul. There's nothing that you can't pull out of the forgiveness of sins. And then three, Christ is a shield against Satan. So very quickly, these are the things that you pray for. Number four, we pray that our Father would provide for our body daily bread. And you know the small catechism? Look at just, just look at the highlight. What is meant by daily bread? Everything. So there's nothing that you have that you didn't receive as a gift meant for a blessing from your Father. Everything that belongs to the support and wants of the body, everything. What's daily bread? Everything. So you pray every day, give us, all of us, together, what we need to support this body and life. I'm turning the page because the clock ticks. But now, um, an important fact for you. You can never be cut in two, at least not according to our Lord. Sometimes we deny our bodies, and sometimes we deny our souls. But this isn't how the Lord thinks of us. The fact that the Lord would let the rain fall even on the evil and the good, or provide more for you than he provides for the sparrows or the lilies of the field implies that he'll also care for your soul because you're one bit. You're not broken, you're body and soul, or body, soul, and spirit, or body, soul, and mind, and spirit. Jesus talks all kinds of ways. He talks about it as twos, or threes, or fours. Why does he do that? So that you and I'll get the point. He just keep, he'll, he'll explain it as seven or eight if you need it. He's trying to explain to you that everything you are is under the gracious care of God. So now a thing that maybe you're not so used to your goodness toward our bodies, O oh my God, is the guarantee of your goodness toward our souls. You who were so good in the past are no less so now than you are in heaven. Now kind of go to the middle. Let us hope in grace and in the glory which is the fruit of grace. So let us hope, there it is. Let us hope for the health of our souls in this world and the next. There is no despised or despicable state out of which you can't draw souls. Now this is very important for later because what I want you to remember most of all today is that you don't judge yourself or other people because when you judge, you foreclose hope. When the judgment is in, there's no more hope. But that is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is hope till the last breath. There is no despised, no despicable state 
out of which you can't draw souls. Not only to save them. So here, I just want you to think to yourself. All, you can pick one. Think to yourself right now, the worst person you know. Okay, right? Sorry you came to so, so soon. <laughs> I hope it wasn't somebody you know dearly. Uh, think of the worst person you know. Got it? Okay, good. Now think of the person that you've poured the most love into who has gone astray. Think of your prodigal. Now think of people who just don't care. Now think of someone who refuses to listen or is certain they have another way. You may not despair of any of these. You may not judge them with a final judgment. Just to be clear, in case you're not following me, I'm not talking about making judgments about good and evil. I've already given you obey, which is to judge what's good and judge what's evil. I'm not talking about making judgments as you move through life. I'm talking about judging people into hell. There is no despised, this should be very hopeful for you when you think of the people who are worst, prodigal, won't listen, are sure they're right, and would kill you on the spot if they could get away with it. There is no despised, no despicable state out of which you can't draw souls. Everybody is a candidate to be saved, which is why you proceed loving your neighbor as yourself. Not only to save them, right? We're not just talking about staying out of hell, but to turn them. Repentance in the Greek, metanoia, means to be turned around, but to turn them into your chosen ones, to elevate them to great sanctity. So again and again, you read about saints who were persecutors. You can start with Saul becoming Paul, but it's a long history in the church. Let us never despair, or in the positive way, let us always hope. Why do you go to church? To hope. Because this doesn't come naturally, and you wouldn't have discovered it yourself. And by the way, I don't want to do it either. Let us never despair, neither for ourselves nor for others. No matter how steeped in vices, no matter how all good feelings seem to be dead in them, never give up, never give up. Let us never despair, not only when it comes to salvation, but also to the possibility of an admirable sanctity. God is powerful enough. The good shepherd can bring back sheep to the fold at the 11th hour, at the last breath, just as the first. His goodness and his power know no limits. Next page, this is brilliant. There is no limit to hope. No limit to hope. I gave you the text below. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So hope is part of love, and love goes on forever. Hope doesn't stop until heaven's door has been closed. This is an obligation for us, according to the Holy Spirit who speaks through St. Paul. Let all of us who feel that we are sick hope. It was for us. You could be sick about yourself, or you could be sick about your prodigal. You could be sick about your enemy. You could be sick about the people who persecute you. It was for us that the divine physician came. It was for us that Jesus, the Savior, has come. 
You sort of getting this now? Why do you go to Church to Hope? How does this work? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have come to you. Sometimes you suffer. Sometimes people go off the rails. Sometimes you're abused. Sometimes you're wounded. Don't despair. Don't despair about yourself because Jesus stays with you and loves you. He's pleased with you and thinks you're just fabulous. And don't despair about other people because Jesus wants to think about them in the very same way and he does not give up. No, he does not. Because of that, then you can be hopeful. And even if you suffer along the way, you say, well, the Lord must be working this out. See, what's so interesting for me is Lutherans don't teach us, but I can, you can hear, I can hear Norman Nagel saying to me, you know, it is, you know, he spends 13 years in bed because of a medical mistake. The most fabulous guy I've ever met, knows the most, could do the most good. And the most despairing thing he ever said to me is, nine years in, there must be some good in this somewhere for me. It's the same saying. The Lord must be up to some good. It takes a tremendous amount of faith to say that. And so, um, you know, you have this next uh, bit from Burning Hearts, which I've given you before, and I'll leave to you. Um, that God wants to be close to you and he wants to advance you. So, daily bread, the Lord provides for body, but implicitly for souls. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others, which is the balm of souls. Every once in a while when I give a lecture and make a big deal out of forgiveness, or even when I said to you, the kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins, people sometimes argue that this is such a narrow definition. For me, it is the most expansive definition. If you say the forgiveness of sins, you've said the kingdom of God has been restored in its fullness. You've said there's heaven on earth. And then the possibilities are endless. Okay? So you should beg forgiveness like, Abba uh, Dioscorus, right? A young monk, he's the most holy man everybody knows. A young monk sees him weeping. He says, why are you weeping? I'm weeping for my sins. He said, you're the most holy man everybody knows. And then three paragraphs down. Dioscorus told him, truly my child, if I were allowed to see my sins, three or four men would not be enough to weep for them. That's how humility talks. And so then, if you want to be hopeful, you should forgive other people. Turn the page. A beautiful little piece from St. Uh, Teresa of Calcutta. If you want to get hope, you beg forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. Dioscorus. If you want to have hope, give forgiveness. How do you engage the world? With forgiveness. Too, too. Life is short, too short to be nasty. But then, Mother Teresa, non-forgiving can destroy you for life. We don't think about that. We think about drugs can destroy us for life. We think drink. We think, you know, fornication. We think stealing. All these things. You know what, can, you know what destroys you for life? Not forgiving. When we keep on thinking of that word that sister said, but we need to acknowledge our sin to be able to forgive. 
We must forgive, don't wait. Is there unforgiveness in my heart? It's an obstacle for life. When it's too late, nothing can be done. Don't wait. Don't believe the devil. You see how beautiful this is? Like these are people who can translate justification by grace through faith into, and you know what that means for you? You shouldn't believe the devil. What does the devil want? Unforgiven sins. He's anti-Golgotha, anti-cross. Get it out. Maybe you have a grudge against your superior, maybe against your sisters, maybe against your parents. As a novice, as a junior, the devil will come to you with beautiful ideas. Think of how Jesus was tempted at the beginning of Lent. These are beautiful ideas. You could be king without going to the cross and we'll have a feast to celebrate. Don't allow the devil to cheat you. And of course, when we suffer, what do we think? I'm being cheated by the suffering. What do all the smart people say, mothers and fathers of the church? What do they say? They say, you'd be cheated if you don't suffer. Because in this world, suffering is one of the ways that God refines us, as the epistles say, as through fire. That's not how we normally think. But this is the path to hope. God is with me. God provides for me. God protects me and he will have the final say about me. That is the Lord's Prayer. Bitterness and pride are twin sisters. Moodiness go with it. A humble sister will not be bitter or moody. Examine yourself. So time is short. I'll give you two quick things. Under number six, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one which basically means stay away and run away. Lead us not into temptation, which is let's take the long way around evil. So he actually is to lead you the long way around it. Occasionally, the devil will see that you're taking the long way and he will track you down like a half-price Kate Spade purse. <laughs> he is coming for you. So you take the long way around, you try to avoid it, you do all you can, and you still get run down from behind. Well, um, this is just how the world works. Um, it's just how the world works. And there are times I've turned the page, and I've given you this quote from Cardinal Bernadine before, where he says, you know, I get close to death and I just can't see anything. Everything seems dark. And that's often how you have to go. All I can say to you is things I've said to you a thousand times before. Wisdom isn't cheap and we pay for it with pain. Pain is one way we lose our idols. Pain doesn't last forever. Right? And Jesus has gone before us. And long ago, far away, when we were having, in the midst of all kinds of troubles, one of the worst days of my life was the night that Brother Emil of Tizay showed up. Crazy stuff going down that night. Divine, and he says in the midst of his lecture, divine joy is so large as to contain all our sorrows and still be joy. Now, I can't do the rest of this, but um, at point number seven, if you'll look at the end, our Lord will have the last say about us and the world he created. And very important for you to read the next bit. I've done this two or three or four times before, but just the simple idea that anxiety is displaced by love. If you want to lose your anxiety, you recite all the ways that Jesus loves you. 
If you want to lose your fears, you rehearse all the ways that Jesus sticks with you. And that, of course, is why you have a liturgy on Sunday, which is a rehearsal of all the good things that God is doing to you. Because I've turned the page at the top, anxiety disappears when we know, one, that we are loved divinely, and two, we can love others divinely. So, 9, 10, and 11, kingdom, power, and glory. Just in a word, you know, the kingdom is the kingdom of forgiveness. It's good for everybody. Power means that Jesus will have the last word. Not you, not me, not anybody else, not even the person who is killing you. They don't have the last word. They think they have the last word. They don't have the last word. Kingdom means the otherworldly kingdom of God will reign in the end. Power means Jesus is going to get his way. He will sort it out, which also means you do not sort it out. Right? Someday Jesus will finish it off. And I gave you, I love this quote from um, Elder Anthony. I just say, I will endure this for the sake of Christ. Just say this, and it will be easier for you. The next time you feel like you're being robbed, you're being hurt, you're being pained, just say it. I will endure this for the sake of Christ. Just say it, and it'll be better for you, right? And glory, then, is the same as holiness, and now we've closed the loop. Kingdom, power, and glory. You pray that God would close the loop. If you can think about Glory, if glory is, by definition, the holiness of heaven when it comes to earth, when kingdom and power and glory all come back together, it means that earth and heaven become one again. This is last day judgment kind of talk. And amen is that it is true. So, now what to do? Um, Point number 13, and this is super important. I said this a couple times, but I don't want this to be lost because this is the primary thing. What we always want to do is finish it off so we can stop suffering. We want to claim as if we're the kingdom. We want to work by our power. We want to take or exercise our glory as if it all belonged to us. This is the reason you never despair. This is the reason you always hope. Point number 13, no final judgment. Final judgments do not belong to you, and they do not belong to me. They belong, life belongs to God alone. We translate this easily in terms of euthanasia or abortion. It translates more easily. But just translate it in terms of your neighbor or your child or the person that hates you at work. Just translate it in that way. The final judgment about this person does not belong to you. In fact, this person is not beyond hope, not beyond salvation, not beyond the touch of Christ. Keep going. Judgments foreclose hope. If you judge yourself, I'm unworthy, nobody loves me, I'm all alone, God doesn't care about you. What you're saying is, there's no possibility of heaven. Not heaven on earth, and not heaven in heaven. More likely for us to get away from the bother is to close the door on the people who annoy us, that person you thought about who you hate most, on your own prodigal on the person who constantly challenges you, or even on God, who seems to put you in a place where you do not think that you will flourish. That was the very first thing we read. As if God does not love you. That's a complete mistake, and it moves you through life in a hopeless way. Turn the page.
The resurrection is God's refusal to judge us guilty and put an end to us. The resurrection is the refusal of God to judge us guilty and put an end to us. So 14, very quickly, and I've urged you to do this independently or in, and many times before, but you know what are the keys of hopeful life? You go to church and you do all the things we've talked about doing crisis scripture and prayer and tithing and alms and forgiveness, but particularly you live in love, humility, and obedience. Why? Because these are the things that the devil rejects. The devil hates, he doesn't love, he disobeys, his spirit is rebellion, he doesn't obey, and he's prideful, not humble. Simple inversion, those are the things to which you need to dedicate your life because the opposites are satanic. They're not just bad ideas, they're not just human vices, they're actually satanic. And so to pursue love, which is to see others the way Jesus sees them, or obedience, which is to do what Jesus asks you to do and know it's for your good. Or humility, which you get not by aiming at humility, but by remembering how gracious God has been for you and saying thank you, Jesus, for that. And I've tried to give you um, a big bunch of pieces for that. Now, at least I got you to the end, 16. As you go in hope, trust yourself to the one who judges justly. Once I was with Ron Forehunt, moaning and complaining about this and about that. And Ron, the way he'd always sort of, you know, cock his head and look at me, kind of, and smile at me. And he always seemed to have a glass of sherry in his hand when he did it. Trust yourself to the one who judges justly. It's the most beautiful phrase. God will judge you justly. Calm down. And come what may I am in God's hands. And then, if you won't believe me, believe Madeline Lingle. Nothing, no one, is too small to matter. Not you, not me, not what you do. Nothing, no one, is too small to matter. Even if you didn't end up where you thought you'd end up, even if you didn't do what you thought you should do, even if things didn't play out the way you thought they should play out for yourself, for other people, for your kids, for your parents, your church, whatever. Always hope. Nothing, no one, is too small to matter. What you do is going to make a difference. All right, got to go. Love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you next week. Voters meeting. Do show up on time, please. Uh, come early and sign in. Thank you.